Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Jude. That's that little book right before Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. We've provided a place for you to take notes in your bulletin. Let me encourage you to do so to help you have something to uh, take away with you and help you follow along. We are looking at how to survive false teachers. There is no lack of false teachers that are assaulting us every day through the various means of media, be it books, internet, CDs, television, Twitter, They are there in abundance. And the book of Jude was written for the purpose of helping us identify and stand against all these false teachers. And we are coming to our study in Jude of verses 22 and 23, which gives us the third thing we must do to stand against false teachers. But let me review for a moment. First... He says that we are to stand against false teachers as we remember the words of the apostles. That's found in verses 17 through 19. And we are to remember their words, their teachings, first of all, because every teaching, every teacher must be measured by the Word of God. If what I teach or what your Sunday school teacher teaches or what anyone teaches does not square with God's Word, then you don't listen to it. We must only not only remember their teaching, but their warning. They warned us that there would be abundance of false teachers. We must also remember the description they gave us of false teachers, the three characteristics that we saw over and over again in this book about false teachers. First, they disbelieved God's Word. Now, they either outright reject it, or they so twist the meaning that it no longer means what God intended for it to mean at all. And so they disbelieve it in that fashion. Also, they indulge their fleshly desires. If you look deep in their lives, you will see an abuse of materialism uh, and an indulgence of their fleshly desires. And then thirdly, they reject proper authority. So look for those three characteristics. We are to remember the words of the apostles. Next, we are told that we are to not only remember the words of the apostles, but we must also, as it says clearly in verses 19 through 20, we, excuse me, 20 and 21, we must remain in God's love. Remain in God's love. Now, it's not that we are earning God's love. We don't have to do anything to keep God loving us, but we are to stay in the place that we can experience positive expressions of God's love rather than His hand of discipline. And we saw that we do this by building ourselves up on the most holy faith, first of all. Secondly, by praying in the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, by waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We saw that last week. And today we come to the third thing we must do. 
And that is to reach out to those in spiritual danger. Stand in respect for the Word of God as I read our text today. Verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. You may be seated. We are called to reach out to those who are in spiritual danger. I think Jude has three groups in mind today. The doubters, those who are defiled, as well as those who are deceived. First, we look at the doubters. Reach out to those who are doubting. The first group in this Group, the first subgroup would be those who sincerely have questions about the faith. Those who have sincere doubts about God. We're not talking about the scoffers. We're not talking about the mockers. We're not talking about the confirmed atheist or the cynical agnostic. But rather, we're talking about the person who is an unbeliever but he has sincere doubts about Christianity. He has honest doubts and questions. How can I know that God really exists, he might ask. Or, how do I know the Bible is different than any other book that we have for us? They have serious, sincere questions. Now notice the attitude that we are called on to have toward these Sincere doubters. He says, have mercy on some who are doubting. The attitude is mercy. The attitude we're to have is one of compassion toward them. Now I think Jude is emphasizing this because our tendency when someone questions what we believe is to get defensive. If we're not really secure in what we believe, when somebody comes up and says, well, I don't know why the Bible is different than any other book, you know, we, we can bow up and say, what do you mean? I can't believe you're saying that. Or if somebody says, you know, I, I, just, I, just, I just have a hard time believing there's a God. What? You don't believe there's a God? The Bible says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. You're a fool. Now, that's not going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. So, if we're not careful, though, we get threatened when someone questions why we believe or what we believe. And so we need to be on guard and not act defensive, but be compassionate. These people have serious questions. They really have honest doubts. And so our attitude must be one of compassion toward them. You have trouble believing the Bible can be God's Word? Let's talk about that a moment. Why, why do you have problems believing that? Well, you know, how can any book that's written two and 3,000 years ago, how can that be relevant today? Isn't it just full of myths? And then you go and, and you say, well, let's just think for a moment. <clears throat> Is there any other book that has prophecies that were fulfilled and have been fulfilled by the letter? Prophecies that were made hundreds of years before the events ever took place. And I mean prophecies that even secular history verify occurred. 
What about the fact that there's so many thousands of manuscripts and parts of manuscripts of the, of the Bible that we have today compared to other ancient writings, like the writings of Wars of Caesar, only a handful. How about that? Also, do you realize that archaeology has never discovered anything that has contradicted what the Bible teaches, only affirmed what the Bible teaches? Talk to them. Well, what about, I just have trouble believing there's a God. Well, I can understand that. It, it's hard to believe in something you can't see, isn't it? But let's just look at the alternative. How did we all get here? Now, either there is a loving, all-powerful, supreme being who created something out of nothing, who created a world and a universe with a purpose and design, and created us human beings with a purpose and design, or the best science has to tell us is it just happened. I mean, all of a sudden there was nothing, and then suddenly something came about. That's all they can say. I mean, when there was absolutely nothing, no space, no time, nothing, all of a sudden, boom, something came about. Now, really? Does that make more sense? than a God created that had a purpose and a design for the universe? Let's just think about that for a moment. What really takes more faith? To believe it just happened? I mean, how can you have something come from nothing? And nothing causes it. Because there's no cause. Because nothing existed. It just happened. So take time to talk to them and, and answer their questions. You might refer them to a book like Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Very good book to just lay out some of the evidence for the Christian faith and for the Bible. Share your own personal testimony. They can't argue with that. Share what Christ has done for you in your life. Share what difference He makes in your life. That's one of the best things you can do is share about the life that you now have in Christ and that they too can have that life. Pray that God will open their eyes to see the truth. When Paul was called to preach in Macedonia, he went to the city of Philippi and he knew it was a habit of some to gather down by the river for prayer. And so he went down there to tell them about the message. And this is where we pick up our verse 14 of Acts 16. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening to Paul's message. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. No one can see the truth unless the Lord opens their heart. And so we need to be praying, God, open their heart to respond to the gospel truth. Pray for them. Be compassionate over them. Seek to help them with their honest questions. And you don't have to know all the answers. Now, relieve yourself of that problem. 
Because you can think, what if he asks a question I don't know? Now just say, look, I don't know the answer to that question. It is a good one, though, and I'm going to find out, and I'll come back and talk to you. And then you either come talk to me or somebody who can give you the answer, and go find out what the answer is, and then come back. So don't get defensive because you don't, you're not expected to know everything. So first, he says, have mercy and compassion on those who have sincere doubts but unbelievers. I think there's a second group under the doubters. The second group, those who are saved, but they are unstable in their beliefs. They're Christians, but because of their spiritual immaturity, they are unstable in their Christian life. These people may have doubts about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about the doctrines of the faith, but it comes from their immaturity. Maybe they have been listening to some of these prosperity preachers, these word of faith preachers. And they heard this preacher say, God took your diseases to the cross, and therefore you are not to be sick. You just need to claim your healing in Jesus. And so this person's parent was sick and had cancer, and so they went before God and said, I claim the healing of this cancer over my parent. And then the parent died. And they think, what's wrong? Is God not true to His Word? Did I not have enough faith? And they're caught up in all of these doubts. Or they heard a preacher saying, if you're having financial needs, you just need to sow some seed faith money. Send me your seed faith money, and God will multiply back to you. I mean, how are you going to get a corn crop if you don't sow some kernels of corn? You can sit there all day and say, I want some corn, but if you don't sow the corn, you'll never get it back. Well, you can say, I have a financial need all day long, but if you don't sow that money seed, you'll never get money back in return. You will only reap what you sow. The Bible says that, right? Sow your money seed. Send it to me. And then God will multiply back to you. So this person took that, and, and they sent a big, they even sent as much as they had, thinking, man, I'm going to get it back. But they didn't get it back. Things just got worse financially. So they're thinking, oh, what's going on, God? Are you not true? Is your word not true? And so they have these doubts because they're immature. Or maybe they went to college, and they were sitting in that first philosophy 101. And they had that philosophy teacher that prided himself at destroying Christians' faith. And so he started attacking Christianity. And he was coming up with all these things that you didn't have answers for. And, and so you left the class thinking, well, maybe there's not a God after all. I mean, these guys are smart, and he says there's not a God. And so this person is a doubter. They're saved, but they're unstable. Again, we're to have mercy on them. We're to have compassion on them. Don't get upset and argue and say, you ought to know better than that. What do you mean, questioning that? You ought to know. You grew up in church. What do you mean, doubting the Bible? What do you mean, doubting God? That's not the attitude we need to have. Let's think about it. What, what has caused this doubt to come up in your life? And let them share with you. Well, I was praying for my dad to be healed, and he wasn't healed. And, and I heard this preacher say that he should always be be healed if we claim our healing in Jesus. And you say, well, let's look at the Scriptures a little closer and see if that is really what it says. And then you begin to explain to them the true biblical theology of sickness and healing. 
and explain it to them. Same thing about the seed faith. You say, well, let's see if that's what the Bible really teaches. But have compassion on them. Seek to build them up in the faith. Disciple them. Hey, let's must meet together once a week and, and talk about some of these matters. Would you be willing to do that? Let's get together during break at work and, and let's start looking at these things. In doing that, you are reaching out to those doubters. So read out, reach out to those who are unsaved and have sincere doubts with compassion. Reach out to those who may be saved, but they're so immature in their faith, they still have doubts and questions. And that brings us to the second group. We've looked at the doubters. Now the second group we need to reach out to are the deceived. Verse 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. These are those who are not Christians, and they have embraced the lies of Satan. They have been entrenched and entangled by false religions. It could be their Jehovah's Witness. It could be their Mormon. It could be they're caught up in the New Ageism. It could be they're caught up in the Word of Faith movement. It could be they are caught up in humanism. But they have embraced a false religion. Islam, Hinduism. And look at where Jude says they're heading. Snatch them out of the fire. I think he's saying these are headed for the fires of hell. And that we are to aggressively reach out to them. Now, if someone's caught in a fire, you don't say, hey, come on out. No, you run in and you get them and you drag them out. So he uses his imagery to show us that we should be more concerned about their eternal destiny than hurting their feelings. Well, you know, I hate to confront them about their false religions. They might get upset with me or they might get mad at me. You ever thought that? Well, I might just turn them off. Well, folks, they're already turned off. How can you turn them more off? So he's given us the idea that we need to be more aggressive with these, but we don't do so in a mean way. We still need to have mercy. We still need to have compassion, but we're more aggressive about it. I mean, we realize they're headed for hell, and they need us to reach out and by the grace of God, show them the error of their ways and show them the truth. And hopefully God will use us to minister His grace to them. When Jude says, save others... He doesn't mean that you and I can save them. That's against the whole teaching of Scripture. God saves. But what he does mean is God will use us as the means that he will use to save them. That we are a part of the process. That God has graciously given us the privilege of being used as an instrument of his to save them, snatching them out of the fire. I think what he's saying is we need to use every legitimate means, every biblical means to reach out to these who are deceived, we might snatch them away from the fires of hell and see them come into God's kingdom. Now I want to emphasize every biblical means because there are those who are reaching out beyond the scope of Scripture. And in so doing, they are violating this word from God. What am I talking about? 
It's called the Emerging Church, or the Emergent Church. There is a movement out there that says we need to become so much like the world that the world will feel comfortable in church. Some of these preachers not only wear blue jeans with holes in them, and I'm not saying that's necessarily evil in itself, no. But they even cuss. They even use curse words to try to identify with the lost man in the pew. I believe the danger is the church becomes so much like the world. They'll use secular music. I mean, they will use music that you and I would not let be played in our home. They will use that in their services because they feel like it helps the lost person to identify with them. I think that's going beyond the parameters of Scripture. When we seek to reach the lost, and yes, we should seek, but sometimes they're called seeker-driven churches. That means everything they do is geared toward finding that lost person. I don't read in the Scripture where when the people of God worship, come together to worship, that their focus is on the lost people. What I read in Scripture is when God's people come together to worship, their focus is on God. And I'm not sure I want a lost man to feel comfortable in our worship. If he does, something may be wrong. And if he doesn't ever get uncomfortable, why is he ever going to turn to Christ? If he doesn't get convicted of his sin, why would he ever turn to Jesus? If he doesn't realize his need for a Savior, and to realize his need, he's got to realize he is lost. And to realize he's lost, he's got to realize he's sinful. Why do I want him to be comfortable? How could I keep him comfortable and bring him to Jesus? So we've got to reach out within the parameters of Scripture. Praying that God would again open their eyes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The picture here is that people who are unsaved, unbelievers, their eyes have been blinded, their spiritual sight has been blinded by Satan. So when we are reaching out to them, not only must we reach out within the parameters of Scripture, but we must pray for them that, again, God would pull back the veil, that He would let the light shine, the light of the truth of the gospel of His glory in the face of Christ, and they would see Jesus in His beauty, in His loveliness, and they will flee toward Christ to be their Savior and to be their Lord. So we need to pray for them, seriously for them. Not only that, but we need to show Christian love and concern for them. We need to be able to intellectually present the gospel, answer questions that they might have. That means you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And we need to trust and depend on the Holy Spirit to take our words and use them to reach that person. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And so we need to pray, God, 
not only open their eyes, but grant them repentance that they might turn away from their error and come to you in faith and repentance. Pray that God's power would be released in their lives. So we see we're to reach out to the doubters. We're to reach out to the deceived. The third group Jude mentions are the defiled. We see that, continuing verse 23, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Still have mercy, but notice he's added, with fear. These are those who persist in their sin. These are the ones that are so engulfed in their sin that they present spiritual danger to you as you reach out to them. They are so hardened away from the truth of God and so entrenched in the way of evil that you've got to be careful when you reach out to them lest you be drawn in to their evil ways. We are to have mercy but with fear. Fear that we might fall in to their sin and be tempted as we reach out to them. We realize that they are so engulfed in their sin that even a brief association with them for the purpose of witnessing to them can be spiritually dangerous. So you reach out with fear. Show compassion, but do so with fear. Ready to flee at any time when you sense you're being drawn into their evil. We are to hate even their garments polluted by sin. Preacher, who in the world are you talking about when you say this? All right, let me give you some examples. All right, number one, those who are not only entrenched in a false religion like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism, but those who are trained in it and those who want to bring you into it. Now, it's one thing to have a neighbor that says to you, you know, I've just joined the Mormon church. You have? Yeah, why'd you do that? Well, you know, they're just a friendly people, and you know, they, and they're strong on the family, and they are moral people. I, I just thought it was, you know, I felt at home there, so I just joined. Now, that person is the one who, previous category, that's the deceived, all right? We're not talking about not reaching out to them, but we're talking about the one who is an elder in the Mormon church, one who is trained to go out and bring in converts, one that is steeped in the ways of Jehovah Witnesses. Now, those are the ones you need to reach out with fear. You need to be careful. Because if you're not stable in what you believe and really understand what you believe, they'll get you so twisted up, you won't know hide from hair. Right? So, that's one of the groups you need to reach out, but do so with fear. Secondly, might be Drug dealer. All right, if I'm having a problem myself and and working toward overcoming a drug addiction, I don't need to just be witnessing and and trying to win a drug dealer to the Lord uh, and not realize I need to be cautious here. Right? I need to watch out here, lest I be drawn back into it. I remember several years ago now, there was a guy who was known as the uh, chaplain of Bourbon Street. He made it his ministry to, to witness and minister to the prostitutes and the strippers on Bourbon Street. 
Well, it didn't take long before he fell in the sexual immorality with the very one that he supposedly was ministering to. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that the one that needs to be ministering to the prostitutes and the strippers is another woman, not a man. I mean, hey, talking about playing with fire? That would be an example. If you're having a problem and you're seeking to to overcome that problem, be it drunkenness, drug addiction, whatever, immorality, then you need to be cautious when you reach out to those who are involved in that same sin, unless you be pulled in. So those you are to reach out, but with mercy mixed with fear, concern. Someone has said the people of God must always maintain a tremendous hatred for error, vice, and defilement of every kind. So Jude says, first we've got to remember the words of the apostles. Secondly, we need to remain in God's love. But thirdly, we need to reach out to those in spiritual danger. I think he tells us that because our tendency is not to reach out, but to reach in. Our tendency is to get so consumed with our own situation that we don't look outward toward others. To be so concerned that we not fall into these heresies of false teachers that we fail to reach out to others who are in danger. But the Christian faith is always one of reaching out to others. We're called not to just hold on to it ourselves, not to relish and enjoy our relationship with God only, but we are to go out and invite others to come in and enjoy it as well. Eva Hart was a young girl when she boarded the Titanic for that infamous voyage. As you know, the ship sank. She was one of the survivors. and She tells of her experience. There were 20 lifeboats and rafts that were dispersed when the ship began to sink. Many of them were only half filled. And yet there were cries of those in the water desiring to be rescued. And only one of those lifeboats ventured to go back to try to rescue some of those who were in the water. The others, some half filled, were afraid if they went back that so many swimmers would would jump in that it would cause their boat to sink. And so only concerned about their own safety, they stayed back even though they could hear the cries of people who were drowning. You and I must not be like those who stood back, so concerned about their own lives they were not willing to reach out to others. We've got to be like that boat number 15 that went back and sought to rescue the perishing. Reach out with mercy to those who are doubting. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. 
He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.